It's the Jenny Hatch Show, and I am your host. Today is Thursday, July 14th, 2022. And yesterday was my mother's birthday. She turned 81, and I am 54. And it was also the day before, it was my granddaughter's fourth birthday. So we've had lots of birthdays this week. I spent a lot of time thinking about my mom yesterday, and... Uh, I didn't call her. We didn't talk. I haven't talked to her in a long time. And um, I've been thinking so much about the way that my parents raised me and the truths that they instilled into my heart and lovingly taught me the doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My parents portrayed themselves as faithful members of the church. And in our home, we were taught to pray individually and as a family. And we studied the scriptures together almost every day. There were many, many hours spent discussing gospel topics around the dinner table. And just as we worked together in our home and gardening and living our day-to-day life, and we always went to church, and an emphasis was placed on being prepared and worthy to attend the temple and participate in the ordinances there, and we also spent a tremendous amount of time fellowshipping with the members of our wards and our stakes, and when I went to college, I made the decision to attend BYU which is where my parents had met. And so my whole life has been shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ as it was taught to me in my parents' home. And so over the last week or so, I've read several articles written by people like Derek Bros at Last American Vagabond and uh, Kathy Fox at her blog and Foxy Fox on Substack about my church and my faith in a very, what I perceive to be condescending and assumptive way, trying to lay out what the facts are regarding the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its ties to supposed pedophile and satanic networks. And I felt like these articles were, were written in such a way that I can't endorse them. I can't partner with them or or in any way say, I believe what you've written is the truth because I don't. And so although I have linked to articles and podcasts and various things that have been written by these types of authors and writers and bloggers and journalists, that does not mean that I endorse everything they say particularly as it relates to the faith that I practice in the church that I love. So you have to ask, you know, well, how could you possibly love this faith that you were taught and also know that your parents were involved in a network of evildoers uh, engaged in the most heinous crimes against humanity? I'm going to use this podcast to try to explain it because 
It's something I feel very passionate about for the sake of the other victims out there who are just now waking up and starting to remember what happened to them in the homes of their own families or friends or their wards or stakes or what have you. So I believe my parents, when they moved back to Michigan, they had three little boys. My dad had gotten a degree from BYU. My mom had quit school to be a mom. They got married when she was 19. They had three little boys. My dad taught school. They lived in Star Valley, Wyoming, and he taught seminary, full-time seminary classes at the local school. This was his job. My mom taught piano lessons, and they were just a young married couple. And they decided to move back to Detroit because both sets of grandparents were there, and they wanted their kids to know their grandparents. So in the 60s, they moved to Detroit, and my dad got a job working at a car factory on the line, at the assembly line, and they resumed living in Detroit. And they were nobody special, you know, just young couple, married, and three little boys. My mother was incredibly beautiful and talented. Music and dance, piano, organ, she, she just kind of did it all. She's a composer. And I believe somebody in their orbit, probably at church, recognized that she was an asset that could be manipulated. And so, as with so many of these types of situations, this young, insignificant, naive couple is invited to a party. This is what I believe happened. My mom told me about a party they were invited to early in their marriage where she didn't have a dress to wear to some upscale party. So she cut her wedding dress off at the knees and dyed it another color and wore her wedding dress to this party. I believe it was at this party where my parents were first compromised. And by compromised, what I mean is something happens to them, some pictures are taken, videos, something happens where they are extorted and compelled to begin a, what I term a slave-type relationship with handlers who sought to control them and utilize them for their own demonic purposes. That's what I believe happened. I don't have any proof of this. It's just my own sense of things and promptings from the Holy Spirit, but this is what I believe happened. I also believe it's likely that when they were children, my parents were both messed with in their various settings, in schools, and perhaps around the military bases where my mother lived. So her dad was a Marine, and that's just my, again, my sense of things. I don't have any proof. So, as I said, it begins at a party where the couple's compromised in a significant way. And they quickly realize that they are literally ensnared, captured. And so it begins, you know, this, this dance of control, coercion, extortion, threats. And they find themselves in a situation where she's pregnant and they are compelled to sacrifice that baby. 
This is where it begins for so many people. This is what is outlined in the PACE memo that was gathered together by Glenn Pace, who was a general authority in the church in the early 90s, who over a period of weeks interviewed many people, dozens and dozens of people who had the same initiation where they had to kill one of their own children in a sacrifice. I believe this happened to my parents with their fourth child. I was their fifth child. And I believe a child who has passed through the womb of a woman who experiences that type of trauma, it has an indelible mark on the soul of that baby because they know what their siblings suffered and being sacrificed. And that mother is a tortured soul. And my mother was, and I believe is, a tortured soul. I love her. I do not hate her. I feel empathy for her, for her position. That being said, I don't want to have anything to do with her or my siblings or extended family. And I've told them that. I've said, I've this is my circle of safety. And nobody can come in here unless you're willing to stand publicly with me in this circle of truth about what, what's gone on with our family. And nobody's been willing to do that. And so I still have a hand out reaching out to anyone in my family, niece, nephew, cousin, anybody who is willing to come and stand with me in the truth about what's gone on with our family. I, I don't judge, I don't hate, but there will be truth. So this is what I believe happened to my parents. And then step by step, line upon line, precept upon precept, just like Isaiah says, they were pulled into the shadows and the darkness of doing the bidding of their handlers. Who their handlers were specifically, I don't know. I have my suspicions, but I don't know specifically. I just know they were tortured and compromised as a young married couple in Detroit, Michigan. And that, that you know, punisher victim scenario played out over and over throughout their marriage. And my dad died the, last year. My mom's 81. I don't know how much longer she has here on the earth, but they have lived a tortured existence. And while they lived it, they had eight children and dozens of grandchildren and now great-grandchildren, and they just lived their life. On the outward, what you saw was a faithful LDS couple who served multiple missions, sent all their boys on missions, lived this life, and on the inside, they're doing the bidding of the people who have them under their thumb. So I don't know if my dad's industry was tied into this. I think it was. He's a state, he was a state farm insurance agent for his whole career. I think you'll often find in these types of circles, uh, people involved in medicine, insurance, pharmaceuticals, uh, auto industry, gas, all of these things that bring in the big money based on people's fears. Uh, I think you'll see a lot of satanic activity because they're all playing on the fears and um, making oodles of money while they do it. I believe my dad was a punisher. This again is my own sense that it was his job to do some of the punishing. And I also believe my family was involved in 
the disposal of bodies. Uh, in the home, one of the homes we grew up in, from the time I was three until I was about 12 in the sixth grade, we had an incinerator in the basement. It was just, you know, down there, it was always on, and I don't know what my dad was burning up, but it was there and it was functioning. And so um, I believe it was his job to take care of evidence. My uncle in northern Michigan owned a pig farm, and there have also been a lot of people who've identified pig farms as being a place where evidence is taken care of. And so that's what I think my dad, his two brothers, were involved in and what they did in the, in the cult that they participated in in Michigan. And as I've, you know, kind of pieced back together my own life and healed from so much of my own programming, I was, I was programmed to be an influencer, to be a singer, a performer, a, a breeder, you know, as I was programmed myself into this sick uh, control matrix, uh, the greatest crime in their eyes that I've committed was getting well, healing, you know. And each time a person who's been traumatized with the programming that I was um, makes a step in that direction, everybody freaks out because they're all afraid that you're going to tell, that you're going to identify them and, and tell. And so um, they've spent so much time and effort making you believe as, as a little child, I mean, like under the age of eight, as a little child, that if you tell, you're going to die. The worst things are going to happen. The people you love the most are going to die. Your, your pet's going to die. Everything bad is going to happen to you. If you remember that for the, the person who's been victimized to just remember is a crime. But then you have this, this added layer of, oh my gosh, it's all the people I love the most who I bonded with throughout my life, my parents, my siblings, my friends, everybody at church, all these people in my community, they're all in on it too. And the answer to that question is no, they're not. There are many, many people who are not involved, who are just looking at you going, what's up? What's up with her? What's going on? What's wrong? You know? And I think there were many people in my life who were in that position. And this small group that was uh, controlling me and um, trying to first and foremost, get me to do their bidding, but then secondly, to, you know, make sure I never, ever told. There was just a general freak out when I had a nervous breakdown when I was 20, 21, because this is evidence of the subconscious mind trying to break through to the conscious and start connecting the dots and exposing the truth. And the number one thing they're afraid of is being exposed. So I started to rebel against all of it while I was still a teenager. And by the time I was 30, I think I was primed and ready to truly start remembering. And when my brother died in 2001, I'd already had enough preliminary preparation that I think I was just ready to start embracing the truth. And I don't think you have to be in your 30s to start remembering what happened to you. There have been teenagers, 
young adults in their 20s who started to piece it back together. And there are some who have had this programming and torture who um, always remember it. They just never talk about it. And I think we're reaching a point in history because of the internet and the dis dissemination of information on blogs and various other places on the internet that survivors really have tools that um, for healing that past generations just couldn't even comprehend. And so as I've utilized the tools and mostly what they've, the internet's done is allowed me to connect to other survivors and other people who are trying to heal. Um, I just think we've been able to process it and heal it quicker than in the past when people didn't even feel like they could remember what happened to them because it was so locked down. And as this seamless, you know, the abused become the abusers matrix has played out in society, I believe there's been one group of people who have been particularly targeted for early childhood programming, torture, trauma, and abuse. And that is people who are members of my faith. And the reason why I believe that is because I believe Satan knows that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is in fact Heavenly Father's kingdom on the earth, working diligently to prepare a people to receive our Savior Jesus Christ and be worthy of, of him and ready to greet him. And so to have so many of us living this dual reality of what I would term fake Mormons, satanic Mormons, using Mormonism as a cover, um, you know, and yet some of us, some of the children of these people really are all in with the gospel and the Book of Mormon and Latter-day Prophets and priesthood power, the saving ordinances. I have a testimony that all of these things are real and that the priesthood is the power to act on God's name in God's name on the earth. And this priesthood power is only endowed or conferred by those who hold the authority of it and that that authority goes directly back to Jesus Christ and his apostles. Why wouldn't satanic Luciferian forces assert a level of malevolence that would just come in and attempt to destroy all of that, wipe it out? So it's my personal belief that we have been the most targeted people, even before the church was formed. And that this targeting, this abuse, this denigration of the people who practice my faith, it's a sign, it's a witness that satanic forces would love to completely destroy 
the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I'm grateful at the end of the day. I am so grateful that my parents thoughtfully and prayerfully taught me the gospel of Jesus Christ, even with the duplicity in place. On some level, I believe both of my parents believed that if they ever told, if they ever exposed anything, that they would be killed or their kids would be killed or something horrifying would happen to them. And so they perceived they were stuck and they just tried to make the best of it and lived out their days. That's my, that's my own internal sense of things. Did they participate in satanic rituals? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. I was there. Yes, they did. I am grateful that I am not the person who has to judge all of this. I leave all of that judgment to my Heavenly Father who will perfectly and precisely adjudicate what's what, who's responsible for what, who uh, has made the steps, done the work of qualifying for exaltation, who's accountable for what. I am not bothered by eternal judgment and any sort of vengeance or retribution. That is up to Heavenly Father to determine at the final judgment who is going to be accountable for what. My big desire and hope today is to simply offer a hand of fellowship to anyone who suffered similar trauma and torture as a child and just wants to feel better, just wants to heal. My hand of fellowship is handed, offered to you, particularly if you are a faithful member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. One of the most troubling things in the early days of my healing was that I crossed paths with several therapists, not of my faith, who believed that the biggest problem in my life was in fact my religion and openly encouraged me to leave, quit, walk away, you know, do whatever it takes to distance yourself from those people. And what I did instead was I distanced myself from those therapists because I just felt like they didn't have the whole big picture. And it's too easy to say, oh, the source of all this woman's distress is because she's in this, quote, cult of Mormonism. That's, that's not what it was at all. And so for your average therapist who really doesn't know much about ritual abuse, or, you know, on the flip side of that, they are what's termed a reprogrammer. This is someone who's very aware of ritual abuse, but is all in and perhaps making lots of money uh, reprogramming people throughout their adolescence and young teens and young adulthood, watching for signs of them waking up, which often, you know, there's a suicide attempt, there's a lot of drugs and alcohol, there's... Um, 
any sort of real major psychiatric event could easily point towards childhood trauma and abuse. And so there are some therapists who are kind of waiting at the crossroads of these events who use a lot of medications and various therapy tactics to reprogram people who've suffered childhood trauma. And it's this level of insidious evil that I personally think society needs to confront with law enforcement, uh, treatment facilities, adolescent facilities, mental hospitals, even private clinics where it's apparent that uh, these types of activities are going on. I think all of that should be shut down as we recognize that this is not helpful to the victim, it adds another layer of abuse. And that when someone like me, you know, is put into a, a medical, a mental hospital when I was 21, when you go into that situation, and then I was gang raped by four of the orderlies the first night I was there, that's not helpful. That's not therapeutic. That doesn't help anybody to have the patients re-victimized by the staff or their fellow patients. It just adds another layer of horror that has to be healed. I, for 12 years, I had no memory of being gang raped in that hospital. And yet it happened. And so the re-victimization should be something that society at large addresses. And as information continues to pour out about what has been done to some people in our midst while they were little children and they start to heal, uh, we need to be prepared to help them. And that if there's a celebrity or somebody in the media or somebody who was groomed to be an influencer, a politician, and they are showing signs of deep distress, there has to be some way that we can try to help them without their handlers uh, saying, oh, we need to do some tests and take this person aside and put them in a hospital for nine months and reprogram them. There, there should be, there, we have to try and find a way to help them without them being hurt more. I don't know what that looks like. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, but I don't know what it looks like. The only thing that comes to me as I ponder it, and I've spent a lot of time pondering it, is that we need sunshine. We need dis the disinfecting power of understanding what's going on, who's suffering, how we can help them, and then just be prepared to, you know, Sometimes the only thing a victim needs is to hear somebody say, I believe you. I, I think that happened to you. I think you're right. This fits. This fits a pattern. And once you get that acknowledgement that, okay, okay, these things I'm remembering really did happen. I was put in a coffin with a bunch of spiders and the head of a dead child and, you know, and left to rot for a matter of days or hours. And that, that did something to me. You know, that did something to me. So 
in acknowledging that these things happened and are happening. Um, I believe punishment for those who perpetrate should be high, including the death penalty. If you rape a child, you die. Traumatize a child, traffic a child, sell a child for sex, you, you know. The penalties have to be so high that those who do them say, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that. Because if I do that, I'm, I'm going to die or I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison. I, I personally don't think the taxpayers should have to pay for the incarceration of, of people like that. I think they should just be given the death penalty and sent away. So I'm just reaching out to any of you, especially who are faithful members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who are feeling depressed, overwhelmed, sad, suicidal, especially hearing about this case tied to the power centers in Utah. I think probably every family in Utah knows somebody who's been compromised or hurt. And I just think everybody needs to throw off the fear, you know, whatever feel, fear motivates you to stay silent. Even those of you who are perpetrators who, you know, I, I think of uh, David Levitt and his wife, you know, you're being outed, you're being exposed. It's obvious that the intel people have been following your activities. I would encourage you guys to come clean. Confess. Tell what you know. Let's stop it. Let's stop it together. And just let, let the healing power of the light, the truth, uh, spread over this situation. Continual cover-ups are not going to help anybody. And at the end of the day, um, we all know the truth anyway. It's just how many layers of uh, shellac lie between your conscious mind and the kernel of truth of, of what's going on here. And our job as a society is to very clearly look at the truth, accept it, and then do what we can to help the victims. And my heart is with the victims. So I hope I've given you some things to chew on. I, I healed so much over these last 21 years since I started remembering. And every day I was having a difficult time I would pray and just say, what, what can I do? And it was the Holy Spirit that encouraged me to think about all of the positive things in my life that happened because I grew up in my parents' home. I was encouraged to zero in by the Holy Ghost. Jen, think about all of the good things that happened to you because you were born into your parents' life. And that list is lengthy. I was born in America. I was born under the banner of freedom. 
I was born in the covenant. I was born to parents who tried. They tried to do a good job. They were compromised. They were tortured. They were controlled. But they taught me to love music and dance and good healthy food and gardening and beautiful things. We spent many hours talking about politics and religion and the important things in life and the sanctity of motherhood and being a good father, being a good provider, doing the things that lead daily to a happy life, keeping your house clean and neat, taking good care of your physical body. These are all things that were legacies from my parents that I don't want to forget. I don't want to get lost in the shuffle of the trauma. And the amazing thing is when you start to heal, all you can remember is the darkness and the bad stuff. But as you reconcile it, there is room that presents itself for you to remember the good and the happy and the joyful. Singing around a campfire with my dad on his guitar. Singing around the piano, all the great Broadway show tunes and hymns and beautiful songs. Dancing in the living room with my brothers. Good times, not to be forgotten. And they're part of my story. And I don't want my story to, to be defined by this satanic cult that my parents were bullied into. That, that doesn't define me or my life or my memories. As horrifying as it was for my family to be involved in all of that. That's not the end of the story. And so I hope that as you are healing and you feel the need to pull away from your parents and siblings, as I did, I had to for my, I would just think about my dad and I would break out in hives and start having really bad asthma. That, that was for years. And during those years, I told my family, leave me alone. And they did. They honored that. And now I'm to the place he's dead. I don't have those just physical reactions anymore. No, my body just taking over. And that's a blessing. But as you, as you start to navigate the path of reconciliation and healing and finding a life for yourself removed from perhaps your family or your church congregation or whoever, it is who's been controlling and abusing you. And I honor whatever process you feel like you need to do. I hope you won't get lost in drugs and alcohol. The side effects of uh, medicating yourself with booze are so horrifying, especially for your kids, that if you can do it sober, I think it will go better for you than if you use a lot of meds and, and booze. But, you know, your process is going to be your process. And I'm not going to judge anything you choose to do unless if it involves 
perpetrating on another person. You don't need to rape a child to reconcile your own rape. You don't need to be a prostitute or sexually active or promiscuous in order to rec reconcile what happened to you as a child. You can heal without doing any of that stuff. And if you've done some of that stuff, I would encourage you to confess. Confess to your clergy. Confess to your God. Confess to yourself. And if necessary, confess to the powers that be. And if that means you spend some time in prison, that's not necessarily the worst thing. There is so much healing that can take place when you're in a situation where everything stops and you just have lots and lots of time. And although there's too much uh, assault and honestly too much joking about what happens to people in institutions, particularly jails and prisons, but I would add to that also mental hospitals, clinics, hospitals, uh, nursing homes and daycares, that in those situations, the opportunity to abuse innocent people just starts to climb. And so, while I don't wish anyone having to go to prison or having to pay their debt to society, if that is what is necessary for your victims, if you victimize someone, then I would encourage you to just humbly take it if that's what's necessary. I don't think I have anything else I need to say today, but I, I just want you to know that the love and the hope and frankly the joy that I felt participating in my ward family especially around music. I've been the choir director. I've been, you know, the chorister off and on for years. Music chair. Directed a family choir with my stake. Done a lot of talent shows and road shows and the dance festival. All the music that's been a part of my life. Um, there's so much joy and healing just in that. That if you're not a member of the church, I would encourage you to meet with the missionaries. Read the Book of Mormon. Feel the love that's there for you. And then go join the body of Christ in preparing for the return of our Savior Jesus Christ. It's my witness and my testimony in the name of Jesus Christ that this church, this faith that I practice, is Heavenly Father's kingdom on the earth. Satan and his minions have been attempting to destroy it, discredit, tear it down, rip it to shreds. And I'm just here to tell you that's not going to happen. I'm all in with the church. I love it. And if there are people involved in my faith who are using it as a cover for their satanic and ritual abuse, especially of little children, then I think that needs to be exposed. 
and those people should be held accountable to the law. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you are having a wonderful day.